So uh, if you've been around for my saga of what's going on with me, apparently, I, I, my, what's going on? A lot's going on with me. Like I've had this this sickness cold thing forever now, and my doctor thought it was allergies because nothing was working, and so I thought it was my wife's new cat. I was praying it was my wife's new cat, <laughs> and it's not. Apparently, I'm not allergic to cats at all. I mean, like I mean, they even did the thing where they did the test where they put it underneath my skin. No reaction. I'm more allergic to my dog, <laughs> who I love, than my cat. It's a big bummer. We might just take it to the farm anyway, though. I'm kidding. Maybe. All right. Welcome to Element. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, there are Bibles in the back. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. There are sermon notes on all the communion tables throughout the room. You have a smartphone. You download an app. The app is called Version. Click on Live on the app. It'll bring us up by GPS in your smartphone. You will get the sermon notes and all the verses that go along with it. Okay, a couple things as we begin. Uh, we only have like 50 Hobbit tickets left. So if you want one, you need to grab one after the service right outside this door. And if you do buy a Hobbit ticket and you're coming, you need to show up next week at 4.30. That's when the doors are essentially going to open, and you're going to want to get there on time for two reasons. One, we're going to do a little bit of film and theology beforehand and give out some prizes. Number two, if you're not coming alone, you're going to want to sit with somebody, so you better show up early. And don't get all mad if you show up, oh, it starts at 5, I'll show up at 4.55, and you show up and there's like one seat in the front like this. Don't get mad at anybody. It's your own dumb fault for showing up late. Don't be all, oh, I hate those Christians. Well, you know what? You're just a moron. (laughs) We're all going to be thinking it, but I'll just say it now so we don't have to say it out loud and be all nice to you. Oh, yeah, poor you. (laughs) Just honest. Just being honest. All right, so (laughs) I am never going back to this church again. Sorry if you're new. I'm really sorry. We take movies very serious (laughs) here. All right, so 4.30, uh, again, we're filming some film theology, and then find a seat. Hopefully, we'll all be able to get you a place where you can sit together. If not, I'm really sorry. Maybe. Not really. Whatever. Okay. Uh, as Jennifer said, our Christmas Eve services are 7, 9, and 11 p.m. Uh, we have nursery care at the 7 p.m. only. Uh, Christmas Eve services, they're usually packed, okay? I mean, you think this is packed, this is not packed. Christmas Eve is packed. I mean, it's like the chairs are all stuck together. There'll be like, you know, seven people where there's five chairs. It's, it's that packed. So you probably want to come early, all right? We, we do a little fun little countdown for you, so you're not going to be bored just sitting there like having to watch the 20 or something before a movie, you know? So, so come early if you want a seat. Uh, 7 p.m. and 11 p.m. are usually the most packed. Nine is kind of, it's packed, but it's not as bad as the other two. So if you're coming to nine, but come. Christmas Eve is different than anything we else, else we do during the year. It's probably probably one of our favorite services. And so show up. They're awesome. And lastly, a lot of people were asking me about the decorations again. Somebody yesterday said, man, who did these so I can get them to come decorate my house? Uh, the two main images behind all this was, was uh, Terry Jafruti and Jesse Youngblood. Uh, but there was also a te- whole team of people that came along behind them and, and helped do everything. And so if you were part of any of that, we really want to say thank you to you for, for helping out. And uh, it wasn't my piano. It's, it's a guy named Brian. It was his piano. We tore apart for the trees and stuff. So we, sorry, Brian and your piano. 
And, and I just also, so I want to echo what Jennifer said about Christmas for Kids. Thank you. Thank you so much. Anybody who, who gave or helped out for Christmas for Kids, uh, it was amazing. Yesterday, we were about a, a thousand bucks short, and someone came in right at the last minute and gave us a thousand bucks. And uh, we seriously, it was paid for totally. I mean, it was, it, it was amazing. Uh, God just really provided for everything. And again, more kids this year were touched than any other year. So it's just growing. So thank you very much for helping out for Christmas for Kids as well. Why don't you stay on the reading God's Word? We'll get going here. This is Genesis 28, verses 1 and 2. And you're going to wonder why I'm reading this, but it all makes sense in a little bit. Uh, it says, Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and directed him, You must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. Arise, go to Padanaram to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take it as your wife from there, one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. You may be like, that's kind of weird. Well, let's just pray and we'll talk about it. Uh, father, thank you so much for being a God who calls people. And I ask that today we would understand the process that you take us through to grow us into the people you intend for us to be, that we wouldn't fight so much against that, but we would essentially just trust you for what you are doing and what you continue to do in our lives. Amen. Have a seat. Uh, This is Genesis. We're week 45, and I know it's Christmas, but it's really hard sometimes in the middle of the book of Genesis to give you some nice Christmas messages. Uh, last week I tried to bring it down to this idea that we focus on the object of our faith, with this Christ, who is Christ. I hope that is going very well for you if you were here last week and understand what I'm talking about. Uh, today, you know, some people might think this is Christmas. One guy gets two wives. But, it, but it's not really Christmas. It's like with a little smart, that's like the day of the dead. It's like more like hell than heaven. So we'll kind of look at how that ends up. Uh, Jacob essentially goes to find his wife from a family connected to his. That's why he read that verse in the beginning. Because for some reason, his parents think that their family are not as messed up as those Canaanites that they live around. And if you've been in any part of Genesis, you're like, right, seriously, because it's crazy because they're just as messed up as all of them. So we're getting to know this guy named Jacob. Uh, Jacob's dad is Isaac. Jacob's grandfather is a guy named Abraham. What do we know about Jacob at this point? We know Jacob is a sinner. He manipulates people. He steals from his furry, red-headed brother. He tricks his blind old dad. He's a late bloomer. He's a mama's boy. He's very soft. When conflicts comes, he grabs his Barbies and he runs away. But then what you saw last week is God shows up and God calls him and God came to him. God reveals himself to him and God saves him. He is saved through Jesus. The season that you see Jacob in in most of the time that we spend looking at him is the season that most all of us are in. The season that we call sanctification. That's That's a big word. But it's that God saves us and now he's working on our character. He's rooting out sin. He's growing us to be more like Jesus. And we talked about this all the way back in the third week of Genesis. If you go to our gospel class, we talk about it in the gospel class when we talk about salvation and essentially sanctification is what we, we would call salvation in present time in in for the, for the blood of christ <clears throat> we are saved positionally forever now but a daily every day god is conforming us more to the image and likeness of his son and this process is called sanctification so jacob what he does <clears throat> is his parents say don't take a wife from here you got to go over there so jacob runs over there to find a wife because he's mostly afraid of his big brother that's going to kill him. When Jacob leaves, his brother is very angry, because his brother has done exactly what his parents told Jacob not to do, which is take Canaanite wives. Uh, Esau actually has two of them. Esau is bitter, and he is mad, and he lashes out. My question for you is, people who are bitter, do they live for God's glory and God's good and their own joy? No, not at all. Bitter people take delight in causing other people difficulty. Some of you will maybe have dated people that your parents have said, don't date them. And it's like, oh, yeah, I'll date them anyway. It's like, this is Johnny. He got straight A's in rehab. He rides a bike. He can't read, but he's really good at fireworks. (laughs) Does he have a job? Well, yeah, he sells drugs to kids at school. No, you can't date him, but I love him. 
You know, it's, it's that kind of thing. It's, it's like if you go to your dad and you say, Dad, what's the worst thing I can do to you? And your dad says this, this, and this. You go, okay, I'm going to do that. I'll be right back. That's Esau. That's what he does. Esau lives like this because he won't own his own sin. He sees himself as a victim. He won't acknowledge the fact that the problems in his lives are his own doing. Up to this point, no one in Jacob's family actually deals with their sin correctly. Uh, Esau's answer to sin is you deal with sin with more sin. Jacob's answer to sin is you deal with it by running away. Rebekah, his mother's answer to sin, you try and control everything around you, and she sins the same way. Isaac, their dad, deals with sin by being passive and not getting involved in it. The Bible is really honest. It tells you sin does not stop in one generation. It usually gets passed on to others. But there's three things you need to ask yourself in regard to sin in the scriptures and in our lives. And number one is this. Does God condone their sinful acts or our sinful acts? No, he does not. Uh, God didn't say, hey, Jacob, be a mama's boy. Esau, go get some terrible wives. He didn't do that at all. But did God allow those sins to happen? Yes, Holy cow, I mean, is this even on today? Yes, God allows these things to happen. God lets you sin in your own life. But ultimately, third question is, does God ultimately work out all of it for his providential good? Yes, the answer is yes. Jacob meant evil, Isaac meant evil, Esau meant evil, Rebekah meant evil, but God works it out to be good in the end because he is the guy who brings all things back together. Eventually, through this crazy family comes Jesus, and it all starts in last week, and this week it moves forward from here. If you have a Bible, open to Genesis chapter 29, and you may think that you live in a terrible family, but I will tell you, God can give you grace, and you can grow to be not that same family any longer. At the end of Genesis chapter 28, God shows up to Jacob. He reveals himself to Jacob. Jacob sets up a stone of remembrance of who God is and what he has done, and he worships God. So now Genesis 29 starts like this. Genesis 29, verse 1, that Jacob went on his journey. Now, this is the literal rendering of what those words say in the Hebrew, but the English just doesn't carry what's actually there. Some people, because they just read this, they say, well, he's still afraid of his brother, and he's still running away. I don't think so. This phrase in Hebrew means Jacob lifted up his feet. A few weeks ago, we talked about how God calls us to lift up our eyes to what he is pointing us towards so we see what he wants us to see. This is the idea Jacob lifted up his feet. It's found nowhere else in the scriptures. It's unique, and it means that his going from this place is different than his coming to this place. From here on out, everything becomes different. God has saved him, and now God is beginning the sanctification process in his life. It says, Then Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. As he looked, he saw a well in the field, and behold, three flocks of sheep were lying beside it, for out of that well the flocks were watered. Towns at this time are usually built around wells. People needed water. You need water. If you don't know that, you need to drink some more. It's not just electrolytes. You need to actually drink water. said, the stone on the mouse well was large. Why is it large? Because it's going to keep animals out and dirt out and kids out and the guys from the hangover from falling into it. If you're in the walking dead, it keeps zombies out. Okay? It also required outsiders to pay if they wanted some water. When all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds plural, would roll the stone from the mouth of the well and water the sheep and put the stone back in its place over the mouth of the well. See, look, the Bible is so helpful. You just got Introduction to Wells 101. Right? You don't have to take it in class, in college. You've already passed it right now. You got it. Now, what the author is really trying to do here, dear, is he's trying to get you to understand that everything in Jacob's life is now different since God showed up. The word for stone here is the same word that was used for stone when Jacob set up the pillar to worship God everything is different. Moses wants you to see this. Verse 4, Jacob said to them, my brothers, where do you come from? And what ensues now is like this conversation with the junior higher on the phone. Where do you come from? They said, we are from Haran. Well, Jacob knows that, okay? He's in Haran. He, he's got, it's like, you know, someone comes up to you and says, hey, where do you live? And you go, California. 
you know that. You're, you're in California. So he, he said to them, do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? They said, we know him. He said to them, is it well with him? They said, it is well. It's like you call up somebody on the phone and you go, hey, is so-and-so there? And Junior hires all, yeah. Well, can I talk to them? I don't know. Can you? I mean, th- this, is, this is the conversation. It's like, seriously, guys, just get on with this. It is well. And see, Rachel, his daughter, is coming with the sheep. And so Rachel now kind of shows up. It has the connotation of how Rebecca, uh, Isaac's wife, kind of showed up with, when she uh, did the camels and all that. Okay. He said, Behold, it is high day. It's not time for the livestock to be gathered together. Water the sheep and go pasture them. But they said, We cannot until all the flocks are gathered together and the stone is rolled from the mouth of the well. Then we will water the sheep. Again, these stones took two to three to four guys to move them, a great deal of labor. So they're probably waiting for more shepherds to show up so they can move this stone off the mouth of the well. Verse 9, while he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. And so this is it. Dun, dun, dun. Here's Rachel. It's like she, here's the hot chick, and she shows up with sheep. This is like wealth, affluence. It's like, hey, the hot chick showed up in, a, in an Audi with tri-dip and bread. It's a Yeah, Woo! <laughs> Hey, baby, what's up? It's, it's that kind of thing. And what happens now is actually really funny in the text. Because Jacob, underachiever, no driver's license, never done a lot of work, no job, probably can't read. Hot chick shows up, and Jacob's got to make a good first impression. He goes full on dude. Verse 10. Now, as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob came near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Rachel's coming. Crazy dude goes full on, man. Moves the stone off the mouth of the well himself. It's amazing. This is like it's like a dude with like a hundred inch waist, and a hot chick walks by, and he goes, and he wells it up to his pecs. He's like, "Hello." That, that's what that is. I mean, wait till she gets close. Oh, makes the man noises. Ooh, oh. it's like guys at the gym. They're all, oh, and a hot chick. They're all, hey, hey. This is. This is how wimpy guys get chicks. It's like they can't get the lid off the mayonnaise jar, and they're like, they go, oh, they turn all green, go a Hulk, oh, boom, I opened the mayonnaise jar. <laughs> this is it. I mean, first impression, lift something heavy, good for him. Good. Jacob's, Jacob's doing better here. So, And this all goes in line with the idea he's different after God has met him. It says, and watered the flock of Laban. He actually starts to work hard, and he, and he works well. And a lot of guys are like this. They meet a good woman, they actually start to go to work. They learn to read, they get a shirt with buttons, it's amazing. Right? A sweet, kind, good woman is an incredible incentive for guys. And I'll tell you, ladies, if you're with the guy who doesn't want to work hard for you, he will show it by what he does. You've got to make him work for you because you are worth it. Verse 11, then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud. It's weird, right? Oh, I moved the rock out. It's the only instance in Genesis of a man kissing a woman who's not his mother or his wife. It's like, I lifted something heavy. Let's make out. (laughs) Then I'll cry. (laughs) And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's kinsman. So now he wants to talk. I hear women like to talk after making out. That's nice. And that he was Rebecca's son, and she ran and told her father. Now, to not get bogged down in this quickly, I'll explain this. This all goes to the change in his life after God shows up and God meets him. The strength that Jacob shows foreshadows people like Samson. The spirit comes on them, do amazing acts of strength. It again shows you everything in Jacob's life is now different. I think he sees the faithfulness of God, and that's one of the reasons why he actually weeps. Verse 13, as soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him. That's how they would say hi in those days. You can just shake my hand and we'll be okay. And brought him to his house. Jacob told Laban all of these things. This is why he came there. And so I'm sure he didn't tell him, I tricked my blind dad and, and tricked my furry brother and they want to kill me. I'm sure he didn't tell them that. 
And Laban said, Surely you are my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him a month. Then Laban said to Jacob, Because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me what shall your wages be? And you will now begin to see that Laban is a con man. He's actually just like Jacob. He's really nice, but he uses people. He's like, hey, you've been working for me for a month. You know, how would you like to actually get paid? Doesn't want to lose him. Apparently, Jacob is working hard and well. But Laban's not really a nice guy. He doesn't say, hey, you want to get paid for the month you already worked? He just says, how about, you know, we work in the future. And in the end, Laban's going to get 20 years of labor out of Jacob. And what the author here is doing, I've got to keep pointing this out to you, is tying all the pieces together for you. Because you're not a Hebrew, you don't see these words in the original text. The word serve occurs seven times in this narrative. And it's going to show the difference in what is happening in Jacob's life. This word serve is what Jacob tricked to try to obtain. And when God says the older shall serve the younger, that's the word that Jacob wanted. When Isaac gives Jacob the blessing, he says, let people serve you. Same word. To Esau, Isaac says, I have given him, Jacob, all his brothers for servants, and you shall serve your brother. And now a change takes place in the text where Jacob gets tricked, like he tricked his dad and his brother, and now Jacob is the one who ends up serving. But to do this, it has to get you into this wedding story so you understand what's going on. As we hit the wedding story, do not get mad at me. I didn't write it. It's in the Bible. I'm just going to relate it to you as the scriptures say it. So if you have complaints, send them to I'm not listening at ourelement.org. And we will not check it or read them because we don't really care. It's in the Bible. We're just going to go with it. Verse 16. Now, Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah. You know what Leah means? Cow. Cow. Okay. Star Wars, princess, cow. All right, that's, that's what it is. Now, the Assyrians came along and they took this name, Leah, and they changed it into this idea that Leah meant ruler. But here in the text, it means, it means cow. Nice. Like, don't name your daughter Leah. Don't name your son Judas. You'll be okay. All right. And the name of the younger was Rachel. You know what Rachel means? You. Not like you, but E-U-E, like a pretty little U-M. What you see is the contrast in the two siblings. You have, you have the older and the younger, which is just like Jacob and Esau, you know, the older and the younger. It says, Leah's eyes were weak. Most commentators believe that she had a lazy eye, she was cross-eyed. Wherever you go, it's, it's just not good. But Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Now, it's hard to talk about this in church services. Not all women look alike. Okay, Leah has to accept the fact that her sister is prettier. And because Rachel's prettier, she probably has life a little bit easier. Is that still true today? Do prettier people have things easier? Yes, says all of us who are not pretty. Yes, we, we understand that. Right, you, you go to a sports game, you know, and hot chicks are like right down by the field. You and I are up in the nosebleed section with Jesus going, I'm going to watch on the Jumbotron because I don't get to sit down by everybody else. That, that's the idea of this. Now, who do you think Jacob wants to marry? Hello, besides Wendy over here, anybody? <laughs> Rachel! <laughs> All right. Jacob loved Rachel when he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger and, by the way, hotter daughter Rachel. So he works seven years. This kid didn't have a bride price or the dowry. He left home scared, has no money, he's empty-handed, and so he's got to work for it. Ladies, I will tell you, most of you underestimate your value. You give yourself away way too cheaply and way too quickly. This guy offers seven years of labor for her. I don't understand beautiful girls that hang out with like drug addicts because seriously, they sell themselves way too cheap. The bride price was to demonstrate that a guy would be responsible for the daughter that he's trying to marry. He needed to prove to the father that he could and he would actually work for her. It's because the father's going to entrust her care to a different guy. It's like if you walked up and said, hey, I want to marry your daughter. And the dad said, great, give me $25,000. 
well, it's not he's selling her. It's that he wants to make sure you're serious that you really want to marry, that you're going to take care of her. This is really important. I swear, if I ever had a daughter, I'd be like that. Oh, that'll cost you 100 grand. Sweet. <laughs> you know? I mean, and, and Jacob actually works for it. He's serious about it, as opposed to cheap, lazy men who are always like, hey, you want to go out on a date? Good, let's go Dutch. If a guy is not going to pay for, like, a hamburger and french fries, which don't cost very much, tell him take a hike. He needs to take care of you from the very beginning. If he wants to date you, make him man up and take care of you. I mean, if he wants to be with you, guys will get it done. You are incentive. He will work seven jobs and live in a tent. He will eat what he hits with his car. He will get it done. It is not going to be five years of, oh, I haven't got my resume done yet, so I can't get a job. That guy doesn't want to be with you, at least not very well. And don't chase after those guys. Make a man up and then come back. Jacob worked seven years. Any guys in your family that woman you worked seven years for? What is wrong with you married guys? Every single one of you, your hands should be up right now. That's a, you're married. The deal's done, man. That's like, a, that's like a softball coming at you. Oh, bam, out of the park. Any guys here work seven years for a woman? <laughs> Holy cow. I swear. When a guy goes to work and a guy works hard and he deals with all kinds of issues, gets kicked in the head every day, I'll tell you, a, a beautiful woman is a great thing to look forward to. Jacob is a loser, no job, no life, finds a woman, goes to work. He gets motivated to be the kind of man who is worthy of this delightful woman. And it's all after Jesus saves him. And ladies, you need to be a delight too, just letting you know. Verse 19. Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. Now, Laban doesn't negotiate. Seven years is a long time. Seven years is a really long time. Okay, he's probably expecting Laban to say, oh, no, give me a year, give me two. But no, Laban's like, I'll take the deal seven years. Sweet, you know, it's like 100 grand. Okay, you know, sweet, I'll, I'll take it. And marriage between relatives at this time were like this. It was considered good, kept bloodlines pure, kept all of your stuff in your own family. Today we call this illegal, you go to jail for it. All right, so, so don't think it's like, oh, it's a good idea, there's my cousin. No, okay. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel. And so he does. He spends this seven years. And this is the hallmark verse. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. Yeah, right? Broke his back, got calluses, ate dirt, pooped in a hole, but he loved her so much. It seemed like nothing. That's so wonderful. Again, this verse goes back to the idea that everything is now different. When Jacob runs away, his mom says, you go for a few days, and then you will come back. And now what happens is a few years seem like just a few days, and it's showing the difference in Jacob's character because now he works hard, he is left self-centered. Now between verse 20 and verse 21, you have seven years that passed, okay? Verse 21, then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife. Now, this is funny. She can actually be called his wife because a betrothed woman had the same status as a married woman even if consummation hadn't occurred. So he says, give me my wife that I may go into her for my time is completed. No kidding. Okay, every dude's like, that is biblical right there. Okay, no scrabble, no talking about my feelings, no, no shopping. I got a goal. We're going to get married today. I'm going to have my goal. I'm going to accomplish it repeatedly. <laughs> he walks in the door seven years. Today's the day, baby. I mean, girls, again, don't. Seven years. She makes him work. I mean, don't, don't be like, oh, he's working so hard. I'll give him a little something. No, no. Make him close the deal. But when he does close the deal, you show him why it was so good to wait. 
Okay, verse 22. So Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. So it's a wedding day, part of the bride. He's putting the bill. You know, Rachel got a dress. She puts on the, you know, the white dress. She got food and music. She walks the aisle like a queen. But in the evening, crazy Laban. That's my thing. It's not in scripture. But in the evening, crazy Laban, he took his daughter Leah. Now, who does Jacob want to marry? Who do he serve seven years for? Who's he get? Laban gives him lazy-eyed Leah and brought her to Jacob and he went into her. He consummates with her. How does this happen? Number one, drinking too much. Okay. <laughs> this is a problem with the patriarchs in the scripture. They drink too much. I'll tell you, alcohol is not a sin. There's nothing wrong with alcohol. But drunkenness is a sin. If you cannot handle it, don't drink. And if you get to the point where you can't stand up and you can't tell the difference between your wife and another woman... You need to stop drinking right there. Secondly, it is dark. It is dark. The whole new, next season of punk should take place at night because this is what happens to Jacob. He gets punked at night. And number three, Leah is probably wearing a veil to hide her form and, and a dress over her. So it says, Laban gave his female servant to Zilpah. This is related to the word for dignity to his daughter Leah to be her servant. And that doesn't make it any better. Next week, you see, this makes it 20 times worse. So Jacob, seven years, working hard, dreaming of Rachel. Sun comes up, probably a little hangover, hungover, but he's really excited because now it's light. He gets to see his naked bride. And what happens? And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. Behold is a term of exclamation in the scriptures. Behold, it was Leah. That has to be awkward, right? It's like, hey, babe, what the? <laughs> right? And Leah's all, Hello. Ta-da! <laughs> you know, I mean, seriously. Right? So it says, And Jacob said to Laban, So he probably runs out in his boxers, hung over, hairs all over the place. And Jacob said to Laban, What is this you have done to me? That I not serve you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? See, the scriptures are hilarious, right? Now, that's like, I wanted the hot one. That's not the hot one. I don't know what's going on here. Now, the word that Jacob uses is the word deceive. You deceive. You know what Jacob's name means? deceived he walks out he says why did you jacob me that's what he says to him verse 22 uh, proverbs 22 verse 8 he says he who sows wickedness reaps trouble see jacob is just a total hypocrite and the text is again showing you the changes that takes place in jacob's life but the sovereignty of god because jacob masquerades as his brother esau leah masquerades as her, as her sister Though, again, it was probably Laban's idea behind this whole thing. And the whole reason that Jacob was at Laban's in the first place was because he deceived in the first place. Laban substituted the older sister for the younger. It's the same trick Jacob did, just Laban was better at it. But Romans 8.28 reminds us, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Eventually, out of this union of Leah, you will get Levi and Judah, whose offspring lead to the priesthood and eventually to the kingship of Israel. Sometimes God will place us in relationships with people so we learn. Sometimes God will put you in a relationship with someone just like you so you learn. It's like, they drive me crazy. Well, yeah, because they're just like you. And here God uses an unbeliever to straighten out Jacob. Verse 26, Laban said, it is not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. So he feigns outrage. Well, how could you not know? I said, Rachel, did you not understand the words? You could have told me that seven years ago. You know, and I may have thought of something different to found a husband for that one over there. His, Laban is self-righteous. He has this indignation. Kind of like you and I, when we screw up, we blame everybody else for our screw-ups and our own sin. 
He says, complete the week of this one, and we will give you the other also. Now, the week is a seven-day feasting period. There's going to be a lot of tension in this family. In return for serving me another seven years. So the hot one's going to be 14 years. Guys, how many? 14. You should all be right. Thank you. All right. (laughs) Holy cow. Now, Jacob loves her. Because Jacob does. He works another seven years. He hangs in. And I also think Jacob doesn't argue in the midst of this because he understands this is exactly what he did. I think he sees his own sin and it shocks him into silence. It says, Jacob did so when he completed her week. Then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Now, ladies, can you imagine being married to the same man as your sister? And she's prettier. I mean, seriously, that, that is just not a good... Thing. Laban gave his female servant Bilhah. This is related to the word for, for stupid or unconcerned. So, so Leah gets dignity, Rachel gets stupid. To his daughter Rachel to be her servant. So Jacob went into Rachel also, finally, and sad line, and he loved Rachel more than Leah and served Laban for another seven years. Now let me ask you a question. Do you feel sorry for Leah? You shouldn't. Not at all. Not at all. Did Jacob ever say he loved Leah? No. Okay, the answer, the answer is no. Did he pursue her? Did he ever say, I want to marry her? How did he get her? A trick. He was tricked. Jacob was never into Leah. And you see that the point is that even though you know, Jacob just met God and God just met Jacob, no one in the story at this point is still good. They all con each other. Everybody's got issue. Leah and Rachel are both in on this thing. You know, Rachel puts on the dress. She walks the aisle. She takes the pictures. And then she cries. And then, boom, tag team wrestling. Leah hops in the ring and consummates the marriage. Jacob is only there because he ripped off his blind dad and his dumb brother. Everybody looks bad, but it is God who will come and redeem this marriage. I mean, this book is 4,000 years old. It reads like today. Guys are immature, fathers who are crooked, women who manipulate, and a God who is ultimately good. Open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Now, this is a transition in kind of in the book of Genesis that this is a place where God stops being seen so much by hand, his hand of miracles, but he starts to be seen by his hand of providence. That God kind of sits in the shadows now and he moves in people's lives and brings things about providentially and less by miracles. It eventually culminates in this guy named Joseph who lived his faith in this God. In Hebrews 12, 7, um, stay in 12 because we're going to come back to this, but Hebrews 12, 7 starts like this. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? Now, if you are a Christian, sometimes you will go through hardship in your life. Sometimes God brings it into our lives to help grow us. Sometimes it's our own dumb fault, and yet God uses it to grow us. Is it punishment? No, it is not punishment. It is discipline. And when things are hard, we ask, God, why do we have hardship? Why is this? Well, because God loves us. See, God is not mean. God is not evil. Jacob is a con man. The girls are evil. Laban is evil. But God brings about good through all of these things. I mean, is God's ultimate best for, for Jacob to rip off his blind dad and run away? No. You know, is God's ultimate good for Laban to switch daughters on Jacob? No. Is God's ultimate good that he wants these daughters lying? Well, no. I mean, does God want sin? No. But God will use their sin to grow all of them into who they need to be. Again, this is why I read you Romans 8.28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. The book of the Gen- Genesis kind of culminates in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, when Joseph says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. That God takes all the evil that has been done and brings it back to his providential good. God uses our mistakes to teach us. I mean, so many people say, well, we want to be disciples of Jesus, but nobody wants discipline. You cannot be a disciple without discipline. See, Jacob is crooked and lazy, so God teaches him. 
by making him work and serve and live under a man just like him so Jacob can see all of his own character flaws. Again, Hebrews 12, verse 7. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which you all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. A kid throws a fit on the floor. Who takes care of it? The parent. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as, as it seemed best to them. Meaning, your dads weren't perfect, but hopefully most of them tried. But he, God, disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. Again, the idea of sanctification. God allows hardship in our lives because it's good for us, because it grows us. You know, through the end of this, God doesn't just become the God of Abraham and Isaac. God becomes the God of Jacob. Jacob becomes a patriarch. But God needs to do this in Jacob's life for Jacob's good and our good as well because Jesus is going to come through Jacob's line. I mean, practically speaking, in, in your life, you may have a really, hard ship, a really hard thing that comes into your life. And if you're a believer, you will hopefully see that completely different than somebody who doesn't believe in Christ. Because you will see it as discipline from God. It says, Hebrews goes on, it says, For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, because discipline takes time. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. See, when a hardship comes, people ask, How can I change this? How can I get out of this? Whatever it is. The book of Hebrews says, We need to ask, How can this change me? What am I supposed to learn in this? You see, if, if you don't know who Jesus Christ is, discipline makes no sense to you. You run to this place of karma. It's like, oh, I did this, so you know, this retribution is going to come on me because of this. That's karma. You've got to work off your own sin. But after you believe in Jesus, you realize Jesus paid for your sins. You don't have to work them off. And you sometimes will have consequences of things that you do, but those are in your life to grow you into who you need to be. It is Jesus who changes us, just like he changed Jacob. I mean, if you're a believer, hopefully there's a day in your life where you remember Jesus coming and revealing himself to you. And maybe the next day you woke up and you didn't feel so different. Maybe you didn't think anything was really that different. But I'll tell you, it was. Everything was different. I think for Jacob, everything probably still kind of feels the same when he goes to his uncle's house and there's the well and there's Rachel. And it probably didn't feel that much different, but everything was. It's showing you that God is working and moving everything to train him into who he needs to be. It's this whole idea of how can this change me? God grows and God disciplines us and takes us from our old life into our new life. And God allows difficulty to form us into this new creation so we can learn to be this people who praises God in all circumstances, not because we want hardship, but because we want to be more like Jesus. And that's the point. God conforming us more to the image and likeness of his son. And I'll tell you, if you believe this, you'll be able to face anything that comes into your life. And you'll be able to actually praise God on the backside of it because of what he is doing. But I think the biggest question in this is, have you met Jesus? That is, makes all the difference in the world. And if you haven't, there's going to be some deacons and elders in the back of the room. And if you would like to meet Jesus, they'd love to talk to you about Christ. You know, if, if you are going through something in your life and, and you're seeing it more as karma than you are as maybe discipline, they'd love to pray with you as well and talk to you about that. Because discipline from, our hand of, from the hand of God can be very, very good for God's people to grow us into who we intend to be. The band's going to come up. And as they do, uh, we're going to invite you guys to worship through song. We're going to invite you guys to worship through communion. Communion is where you take that cracker and you break it like Christ's body was broken for us. You dip it in the wine of the grape juice. It reminds us of his blood that was shed for you and I. So we can be this people that he calls his own. I mean, it's, it's a beautiful thing that Christ would come and live and die and rise from the dead so that you and I can be a people who become children of the living God and we can experience discipline in the correct way from the hand of our great and living God.
There's offering boxes on the side wall in the back. We give because God gave so much to us, so giving is simply part of our worship, so you have that opportunity every week. And then there's some food and stuff in the back. Are any of those macaroons left? <gasps> okay. You've got to run back there and grab a macaroon. And then push somebody out of the way and get one in Jesus' name. No, grab one. Because they, they are just phenomenal. And, again, the reason why we give you guys food in the back like that is to try and get you guys to get together and talk to one another and connect a little bit. Because what you'll see eventually in Jacob's life, you know, he's got a lot of knucklehead kids, but a few of these kids grow into men, and they help him. They come alongside of him, as you and I are supposed to do for each other. We are all saved, and God saves us individually, but we're not meant to live out this salvation individually. It's meant to be lived in a community centered around the gospel. And so you and I, we make relationships with other people and center that life that we now live around the gospel with each other so we can help each other to live the life that we're called to, that we can help each other in times of discipline and we don't understand everything. It's a really hard time in our life. We can lift each other up because you don't have to do it alone. I mean, number one, God walks with you through everything. But secondly, you should have people around you that walk with you through it as well. And that's supposed to be the church. And that's what we do for one another. And it's a beautiful thing that God has given us and called us to be. So, remember, guys, everything coming into your life from the hand of God, and you can trust him and worship him in the midst of it. No matter what you're going through or where you've been, God is good to you. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I ask that we would be a people who understand you and your grace and your goodness, though sometimes we don't understand the hardships. But, God, we could be those who, even when things happen that that quite frankly make us want to run, that we wouldn't. We would stand where we need to be in the center of your will with your hands holding us where we need to be. Father, we need to be a people who trust you more than we trust ourselves, more than we trust our circumstances, that we would understand that you are not just the hope for the world, but you're the hope for our lives. And that hope for our lives translates into being the hope for the entire world. We thank you that you are a God who has never left us to walk this road alone. But you are a God who has sought us and loved us and guided us. And today I ask that we would be a people who understand that. A people who ultimately trust you with everything that comes our way. whether it's hardship or whether it's joy. We would rest all things into your hands. So we thank you for loving us more than we can imagine and calling us to a hope greater than we can imagine. And have us be a people who worship and honor you as our great and good God. Amen.